following podcast is a Jill Divine Media production. Christianity has become known for judgy people, strange words, ancient stories, confusing rules, and a members-only mindset. This is why I stayed away from the church for so long, but it's not supposed to be that way. I'm Jill Devine, a former radio personality with three tattoos, a love for a good tequila, and who's never read the entire Bible. Yet, here I am hosting a podcast about faith. The Normal Goes a Long Way podcast is your home for real conversations with real people using real language about how faith and real life intersect. Welcome to the conversation. It's been a while since Ryan Findler has been a part of this podcast. You've been busy, Ryan. What's going on? Oh, I mean, I'm just a full-time <laughs> student getting my master's and working this job. So it's yeah. a bit full, but it's good. Well, let me go back and introduce you to Ryan. He is my millennial mentor and has really been helping me try to stay cool and hip within the church. Um, so I don't even know if that's even a thing. But anyway... Season three was really cool because in season three, we got to really dig into the faith of the next generation. And Ryan, why don't you explain what you do and why you're qualified as my millennial mentor in this podcast? Sure. Uh, It's partly because I am a millennial myself. (laughs) I'm on the very low end of millennials, but I also teach and lead our next generation ministries here at messiah so our middle schoolers and our high schoolers the people who are about to become young adults enter college that's the age group that i work with in fact one of them i've had the moment okay first moment of feeling old one of my former high schoolers is now a co-worker with me here at messiah mm. that's interesting yeah so yeah so uh you know i've started at 23 and now I'm what 28. So I I work with next generation and I am a part of of the millennial generation. So okay, kind so of this can yeah. I see myself as like a connection between these old boomers that work here at Messiah and these young people who really uh, reach with Jesus. So So that's why you're qualified for this. Obviously you can talk about other things besides millennial talk, but we really got to dive into that, like I said, in season three, and now into season four, we have been exploring different stories, not just my story and my uh, faith journey that I am still on, and I think everybody is still on, but just still trying to figure all this out, but listening to other people's stories and hearing what they have to say, whether it's an expert as far as being a pastor or even, you know, going to seminary or what have it, I don't know, whatever you would underline in that umbrella of excerpt, but also just regular normal people, like normal goes a long way, just people's stories. And so you have a guest that we are going to talk to today. Would you like to intro him or is there something you want to do first? What should we do? Should we keep him waiting? We'll, we'll keep him waiting. <laughs> okay. Because I want to tell you why I brought this guest on today. So, okay. <laughs> um, every once in a while you come across an article. If you subscribe to some of these publishing companies, they send you articles that you need, that they say, you need to read this like every day. Okay. And so yep. normally I ignore those, but then you sometimes see one that you actually click on and want to, to read and get to know. And there's this organization out there called Barna. They are this Christian research group, highly respected, essentially church workers like me see it as 
the place to get their data on what Christianity and the culture is doing. Like it okay. is a scientifically sound data company. Got it. And they produce books, they produce podcasts, they produce lots of media for us. And so I got this article from them. And the title of this article says, A New Chapter in Millennial Church Attendance. Jill, Mm -hmm. if you had to guess which generation now makes up the highest percentage of weekly church attendance in 2022 between millennials, Gen Xers, and boomers, which would you pick? Which is the highest attending age group? I do have a question to ask. For millennials, what is the age of a millennial? Technically, yeah, it would be ninety six to ninety six uh, years old. No, no. <laughs> nineteen ninety six when they were born. Yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> I was like, that is not what I thought a millennial was. Yeah, it's yes, it's basically eighties <laughs> and early to mid nineties. Okay, when they so were born, the oldest millennials right now would be in their early forties, and the youngest ones like me would be. 28, 25, 26, yeah, would be the youngest millennial. Okay, well, I'm just going to go with gut and say boomers. That's what I thought. Oh, so right. now it's wrong. And then I, right, and millennials were the, were the lost generation. We, I mean, we've had sermon series here at our church all about how millennials have walked away and they're just yeah. not coming back. Well, I find this Barna article. And it says this, that since 2019, the percentage of millennials reporting weekly church attendance has increased from 21% to 39%. So in three years, this lost generation has increased 18% in their church attendance. And when you look at the graphs, they are actually the largest attending group by generation at a weekly church attendance level. I would so never that, get that. Right. So that interested me okay. and I wanted to know more. And so I thought, who do I, who do I know that is reaching millennials that is doing something to engage them? Well, and thankfully one of my best friends is doing just that. My friend Corey Garrity is our guest today. He's a pastor in the Bay area, that part of the country that everyone thinks is completely lost and, and, and never coming back to Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Can you define Bay Area? This would be San Francisco. Corey, if I'm wrong, you can uh, correct me. <laughs> San Francisco, Oakland. Um, I guess you could throw San Jose maybe in that area. I don't know, Corey, is that too far south? No, you nailed it, bro. You're doing great. Um, <laughs> Corey's like, when am I coming on? Right. When am yeah. I talking? <laughs> um, so, Corey, he's, he's a pastor out there in Redwood City, which is where all these Twitter execs and all these um, – Silicon Valley people live. So, you know, right in the heart of, of Bay Area. And he has a deep passion for helping people know, love, and follow Jesus. What's interesting about Corey is he went to college to study business management, spent a year in the business world, and realized, I got to do ministry. And so he moved out to California, joined his father in law's church out there, and is doing some awesome stuff. And I just really wanted to bring him on here and pick his brain to explain to me how this lost generation might actually not be so lost and how they might be reached. Um, So Corey, tell me just straight up, tell me about your ministry and what you're doing out there. 
Yeah, well, <clears throat> and it's interesting, Jill, at the beginning, she's talking about experts and normal people. Um, I definitely err on the side of just a normal dude. Um, you know, I have this uh, pastor title in front of my name. Uh, by no means am I an expert in this stuff, but uh, but yeah, let me yeah let me tell you a little bit about um, the Bay Area, what what we're doing out here, and um, and nonetheless, it's just fascinating. Um, it, it's been it's been an incredible learning curve. Um, you know, I grew up actually with Ryan. We grew up together in North Carolina, and so we kind of steeped in. Uh, a culture that predominantly is still vastly Christian culturally, and then uh, kind of made my way to Chicago. That opened my eyes a little bit more to uh, a greater narrative of the country. Um, and then <laughs> the next larger leap to the Bay Area um, has really opened my eyes to, I, I think, uh, the reality of what this country is probably going to be facing, which I think now, as uh, social media and digital platforms continue to increase their influence in the lives of the next generation, predominantly Gen Z, um, man, this stuff is trickling probably all over at this point. So I think things are going to keep picking up. But yeah, man, it's been uh, it has been such a journey here in the Bay Area. Um, when I got here, there was uh, my, my role as youth and young adults. So I was kind of you know asked to hang out with students who are anywhere from 10 years old to young professionals who work at Facebook and in uh, uh, Twitter and all these places. And so a pretty big, big age range, but nothing was existing. Um, so when I stepped into our church's Redeemer, and when I stepped into Redeemer, there was nothing existing for any of these, uh, these age groups and life stages. And so um, kind of just started working with middle school students and high school students. And then um, it's kind of a combination of three things. The context in which I'm in, uh, what God has kind of naturally placed in me. And then I, I think, you know, honestly, my master's was like, hey, you need to, you need to start a project and you need to uh, reach some people. And I was like, sweet, let's do that. And so as, uh, as we started kind of rolling with this project, um, the project emerged into uh, reaching young professionals in Silicon Valley. Um, but we didn't just want it to be reaching young professionals in Silicon Valley. The interesting thing about Redwood City in the Bay Area, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that there is a lot of poverty in the Bay Area matched up against extreme affluence and wealth. So we have some of the, the wealthiest zip codes in the world um, here and the most wealthy people here, literally. Um, and at the same time, we have people who are living in houses, you know, sharing two, three, four families in a three bedroom, two bedroom house. Um, and so that's kind of the context of Redwood City. And so as we were kind of thinking about man what would it look like to what would it look like to reach what would it look like to reach people and and live in relationship with people um in both worlds what if you created a community that existed where um people who are you know again tech engineers and whatever have you but also worshiping or doing life with um or just simply being in community with people who have no idea what that's like. Um, and so that's what we kind of ran with. 
and we created something called Collective Community. Um, we just kind of say collective, that's who we are. Um, we launched out uh, the perfect timing. It was actually December of 2019, and it was just the perfect time to launch anything in this world. Um, three, three months before uh, the shutdown happened. And, um, and yeah, and we, we've just been having a lot of fun figuring out what does it look like to create a community that, that looks like that? And so that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what we've been up to. I think that, that analysis of your area is very interesting. You've got this high wealth all around. And I think honestly, living in the Midwest, it it just feels like, yeah, that's California. That's where all the the rich tech people live, but Mm -hmm. you've got that juxtaposition of the extreme poverty right next to it almost like i mean it's just hidden it feels like you know um i think you've described it to me before it's just kind of uh you could you could ignore it if you wanted to and point being that the area you're living in Mm -hmm. um expectations aren't always reality or, or appearances aren't always reality and in our conversations about the people you're reaching there. That's something you've said before that, you know, if, if I'm a, a typical American Christian suburban American, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking well, you're doing ministry out there in the frontier where, where no one wants to hear about Jesus. No one cares about him. And if you mention that you're a Christian, they're, they're going to attack you. They're going to slander you. They're going to, they're going to, you know, call you out on social media, whatever. Explain to me, how often does that happen to you there? Is that what it is actually like in your area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's a, that's a valid question. And honestly, before I came here, that's what I was, I was fully expecting that. So I was fully expecting like, man, are people going to like hate me? <laughs> you know, like, are people going to like, if our, is our building going to be spray painted tomorrow morning? You know what I mean? Like, uh, during my sermon, is someone going to like stand, you know, and I'm saying like, um, and so it's a, it's a valid, a valid thought. Um, but I think that my experience over the last five and a half years since I've been here has surprisingly, surprisingly been the opposite. Um, and I would say this, there have been weird moments, weird moments online on social media where people obviously will bash, you know, collective and what we're doing. You know, if we have an advertisement on, on Instagram or Facebook or something, you know, we'll get messages from people who, you know, are, are, you know, trying to, trying to come at us and say something that's, you know, obviously inappropriate about either our faith or what we're doing and things like that. But I would say that that has never happened in person and, and compared to the positive reactions to, uh, what we're trying to do is, I mean, it's unmatched. Um, typically, when I tell people, and and I, I really have a high value on meeting new people, and typically when I meet people and I tell them what I do, um, they actually respond with, I mean, it's actually surprising, Ryan, the amount of times that I hear, man, you're like, you're a pastor, man, you're doing, you're probably doing such good work. Like, like you're probably doing such good work for the community, for the city, for people. And I've heard that more than, more than, than I can count on two hands, which has always caught me off guard. Um, but it gives me, um, a lot of hope, you know, it gives me a lot of hope in what we do. I don't think that 
the stereotype of man, like people are hostile because I think we all, we always have to remember, right? Like, like people fall on a spectrum. It's not always this black and white, either you're for us or against us. I think that there's this spectrum that we land on. Um, it's like, this is probably a, (laughs) probably a terrible illustration. Um, but it's kind of like pizza, you know, like there are some people who will probably be like, it's my favorite food in the whole world and I will eat it every day. And then there's probably people on the other side who are like, I absolutely hate pizza and I don't even want to see it in my sight. And then there's everyone in the middle who's like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll have it once a week or once a month or yeah, I like this pizza, but maybe not this one. And I think that it's kind of the same when it comes to faith and when it comes to especially approaching this person of Jesus and Christianity. Um, I would say this though, Ryan, what has been interesting about interacting with the amount of people that I have is that, uh, especially people who have come, maybe come to faith in Jesus, um, they oftentimes do not want to be affiliated with Christianity in the word or, or the language Christianity, but they do want to be affiliated with the person of Jesus. And so that has been a really interesting thing for me. Um, I found myself asking people like, Hey, Uh, are you comfortable calling yourself a Christian at this point? You know, like we've kind of been exploring all this stuff and, and they'll say, you know, I have a hard time calling myself a Christian, but I will call myself like a a follower of Jesus or someone who, who, who knows Jesus and loves Jesus. And so that has been, been a kind of an interesting thing, but yeah, to, to answer your question, sorry for the long winded answer, but yeah, I think it surprised me that people, um, people for the most part are, are pretty accepting. but again, I think that that's also the cultural narrative, right? Like the culture in which we live in today just says, you know, hey, accept people for who they are and what they believe. And to reject that, you know, would be a, mm-hmm. would be a bad thing. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's interesting. But yeah, you're right, though. Um, my, my experience has been people are pretty, pretty positive, actually, towards, towards what I do and uh, towards people who are just trying to, you know, help people, honestly. I'm confused though, by the people saying that they aren't ready to call themselves Christians, but they are ready to follow Jesus. What I don't understand that. What Mm. does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's a great, it's a great question, Jill. You know, in our country, um, and, and again, this is, this is my, this is my, my perspective. Um, and what I think a lot of people are feeling or have felt that Christianity, that word Christian or Christianity comes with a lot of cultural baggage. It comes with a history, um, of things that people have done in the name of Christianity. Um, and, uh, and again, it's nothing, it's nothing about a political stance or anything like that, but I think over over the last few years, we've seen Christianity kind of that that language or reality come to the surface and people use it um, in a really extreme political way. And, and so I think that while people are loving this Jesus and actually love what he teaches and values and what he's about, and so they want to align with him and be about what he's about and, and just might even say, I actually will call him savior. Um, and I actually believe him to be God. Um, there's still this hesitance to identify with Christianity because of, I think the baggage that comes with it. Um, and that's why I always try and encourage people like, Hey, the point is not that you would 
trust in me or a Christian or anything like that, um, but that you would actually trust in this Jesus because we're going to constantly keep messing it up and we're going to constantly keep letting you down and failing you. But that's not the point. Um, the point is Jesus and for you to know him and to live in relationship with him. And then as you follow him to sort all of these things out as you go. And so I think that what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is that people are hesitant to embrace Christianity for, I think, some of the history and the baggage that comes with Christianity versus the beauty of Jesus. I hope, does that make sense? Oh my gosh. Yes. Like listening to what you just said makes me 100% want to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, which is what mm. we all want everyone to do. I did not even think about the baggage that has come with Christianity. And just a conversation this morning has wrapped this all together. Someone was talking about um, their previous experience at a Christian school and being hit and physically abused by one of the teachers. And now I'm like, Oh my gosh, no wonder that's what they're associating with Christianity. Now, now I understand why they're mad and I don't know mm -hmm. it, that just really hit home and kind of like wrapped it all up for me. Like that makes sense. I, that's amazing, Jill. No, it, it, and, and that's exactly it. And, and it is the sad reality. Um, but, but this is where we're at. And, and unfortunately, you know, as human beings, we, <laughs> We, we don't do it right all the time. And, um, and so that's why it's just like, oh man, how, how do we get out of the way and just point people to him? Um, because man, yeah, we tend to mess it up, but yeah. Here's, here's what you could clarify for me. I'm wondering if these people you're talking about, I'd love to hear uh, like maybe a zoomed in personal story from one of these people you're mentioning, but are they, I, I feel like you've been pretty careful in your collective ministry of advertising it, not as a church, but more like a movement. Yeah. Are these <laughs> people that are wanting to follow Jesus willing to associate themselves with a movement that involves other people and not so much mm -hmm. as opposed to the institutional Christianity stuff that, that you were talking about? Like there's still a communal desire there. It's just for, it's almost like the, the terms need to change. The, the, the term of Christianity, the term of church has bad connotation. Well, maybe they see what you're doing more as, hey, we're, we're defining it as a movement. That's not incorrect or wrong, mm -hmm. but it, it, well, you're using language that works for them. Would you say that's, is that accurate? Am I, am I hitting on something here? Oh, dude, spot on. No, I, I, from my experience here, that is, that is exactly what it is. Um, I often will tell people um, as an example, and, and, and uh, my father-in-law too, as a senior pastor here, he uses this example to, to illustrate uh, uh, the, the culture that we find ourselves in, in regards to what you're talking about, Ryan. I have invited probably over 30-ish to 40 people to church. Um, and guess how many have showed up? Zero. Now on the, fl on, on the flip side to that, I have invited the same amount or the same people <laughs> into, into a, a smaller group or community or collective. And guess how many have showed up? Every single one of them. So there is, there is absolutely 
absolutely to your point of what you're saying, this idea of, of church um, is something that I, I don't think people are super comfortable with out here. Um, and I think that that narrative is, is, is continuing to expand into the rest of the country. Like it's not just here anymore. And, and I think, um, and, and what you were talking about, we, we have, we, we intentionally stay away from the institutional type of, um, the way in which we do things, how we talk, um, we're, we're trying to avoid it honestly for the sake of experiment. Like, how is this going to land and who will this draw and who will we reach and, and start doing community and life with? Um, and so far it's been really effective. Um, but again, yeah, it's, it is, people are extremely hesitant, um, extremely hesitant towards what they've known to be the institutional, uh, church. Um, so yeah, no, yeah. I think that you're, I think you're tapping on something that's really important to consider. Yeah. Do you want to zoom in on, on a story that you're comfortable sharing of, of how you brought Jesus into the lives of, of one of these people? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's one in particular, um, uh, that, that I love a lot. Um, and I would say this too, to these stories, uh, for what we were just talking about. And then this story kind of ties together. Um, the story that I'm, I'm going to tell, and I'll try to make it, (laughs) make it not too long winded. You know, this person, he, he refers actually to collective as his spiritual home. And, and I think that that's really important because people are incredibly spiritual. I mean, incredibly spiritual and open about their spirituality. Um, now, but we also know that people are the fastest growing, you know, what do we want to call it? The fastest growing area of spirituality is the nuns. I'm sure that, that you guys have, have heard about this. Yeah. People who are not affiliated with any type of religion. They're the fastest growing segment in our country of people in regards to religion and spirituality. Now, people may not be religious, but they're incredibly spiritual. And so when we hear things like, oh, yeah, collective is is my spiritual home. Like this is where I connect with God. Um, that's <laughs> it's exactly what we're talking about. And so this, this person in particular was the first person that kind of gave put language to, to that. Um, I met, I met him on a zoom call actually. So I was invited into a, um, uh, kind of like a group that helps the city process how to create a more, um, inclusive city here in Redwood city. Um, and I was, I was asked to be on it and mind you, I was the only uh, out of a group of about 20, I was the only um, white person and I was the only uh, clergy person for sure. Um, and so I'm in this group and I find myself in this group and I'm listening to the person facilitating and he started talking about meditation. And I was like, oh, this is this is kind of fascinating. Okay. And so as I was picking up on on who kind of what he was about, I'm like, oh, this guy is super open to spirituality. Like I'm going to I'm going to continue a conversation with him. And so this was kind of in, still in the middle of, of uh, 2020, 20, and 21. So uh, we hopped on a Zoom. I was just like, hey, man, really enjoyed today. Like, thank you so much for leading us through some stuff. Um, do you want to connect on a Zoom? I'd love to get to, know, get to know your story and just know about you. And so we did. We hopped on a Zoom and we shared stories. His, uh, his mom is an immigrant from China. His dad's an immigrant from Mexico and uh grew up in southern california was accepted into harvard so he's a super intelligent guy 
um, ended up at Stanford. Um, that's kind of how he landed here because Stanford is only about 15 minutes down the road from us. And, um, and he's just loves the community, loves the city, loves nonprofit work. So he, he was doing that, that work and him and I actually just kind of formed a friendship. And eventually I just said, Hey, would you be open to, cause I know at this point, you know, he's, he's super spiritual. Um, super spiritual and very open to to who God is and what it means for his life. And so I just said, hey, would you be open to exploring the person of Jesus with me? There are these things called the Gospels. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know the Gospels. And, uh, and I'm like, would you want to read one with me? And so we started walking through the Gospel of John together and we would read it. We'd come, we'd come together and talk about questions we had and notes that we were taking. And, and eventually after, I don't know, two months or so, about halfway through the book of John, he just said, Corey, I think. I think I believe in who Jesus is and, and I, I just want to, I, I want this to be who I follow and this is what I want my life to be about. And so, um, so we, we go on from there and at that point, um, collective had, had been up and running. And so we're, we're holding events, uh, we call them social. So we gather at local coffee shops and rent them out and have live music and vendors from the city come out and they sell their jewelry and their paintings and stuff like that. And we're meeting people and, and he would show up to these events. And so he's getting to know our team. He's getting to know people who are a part of collective who are either following Jesus or not following Jesus. Um, and then, yeah, eventually I asked him this question. So Mike, would you say that you're comfortable calling yourself a Christian? And he said, no, I, I don't think I want to call myself a Christian, but I will call myself a follower of Jesus. Um, you know, mind you, he's also um, bisexual. So he is exploring what does all of this mean? Um, he's immersed in the LGBTQ plus community. And so Christianity comes with a lot of baggage in that community. So now he has to navigate, okay, if I'm open about faith in Jesus, what does that mean for my social relationships? And, and, uh, and so that's a whole another, another layer to it. We've got another, another guy who reconnected with his faith. Um, had a lot of abuse in his background and story. Um, uh, he fully transitioned. So he was a female transitioned um, to becoming a male and uh, highly influential on social media, has a huge following. Um, and he puts collective in his Instagram bio because he calls it, um, he just calls it his home and his safe place to connect with God. And so, you know, there are, stories like this that we're running into that are mind-blowing that seem to be fascinating at least to me and I'm learning so much about what it means to follow Jesus and and then there's this interesting dynamic right Ryan we're like I've got one foot in the institution and one foot out of it and so I'm I'm deeply connected to the institutional church and yet creating something with a group of people that it's not institutional at all. And so, and then, and then you navigate things like that, right? Like what, what do you do with this group of people um, where you've got one who is a Forbes 30 under 30. And yet at the same time, this person who's, you know, working at, at Home Depot and is navigating faith and all this stuff. So it is, it has been fascinating. Um, but I hope that those stories, maybe they help paint a picture and kind of illustrate what this is about. I would say that that the the word that keeps surfacing that I find fascinating is safe. And it's the theme that I keep finding over and over and over again is safe. 
Um, people want to know that there's a safe place um, to know God and a safe place to know him with people. Um, and, and, and to me, I think that that word is going to become increased more and more important for ministries and churches and people who follow Jesus to embrace and to allow that to take center stage for people who aren't quite sure, can I be safe with this? Can I be safe with these people? Can I be safe being who I am and exploring this stuff? And I think that that's going to become, you know, just more and more important, but you know, that's what we keep finding here with collective and, and with people here in the Bay. <laughs> Jill and I are uh, on the verge of tears. Over I'm here, actually but, crying. Um, you, you telling that story is, is bringing back memories of when I got to watch, you know, my friend Patrick get baptized in college and, and knowing his story and realizing it was simply out of the boldness of some people who decided to care for a person who was right in front of them. Mm. It wasn't mm. that he went to the most impressive institutional church out there. Um, in fact, I, I've mm. had some, <laughs> I've had a lot of failure in, mm. in, in, in a, approaching church from the institutional level, as far as, you know, get, getting friends when I was in college, you know, you would take them to the church with the best music and the best preaching. And they're like, yeah, that was pretty good, but mm. you know, I don't need to go back. <laughs> Even if you got them mm. in the door. Um, and mm. this friend, Patrick, oh man, invited him to church many times. Um, I even, <laughs> I even got him to drop something off for me at church <laughs> in the hope, like I, I was at my church. I'm like, Hey, I left this thing. Can you come bring it for me? And then also come in and worship with me. He drops it off. He's like, no, I'm not coming in. And you know, drove away. So <laughs> he's in the parking lot and I can't get him in. There is something in your voice that just like, it does make me feel safe. Like it brings me in. Like, I, I, I just want to keep talking mm -hmm. to you, Corey. And it's people like you that are so important to have because when you talk about these really, really tough conversations and, and specifically with sexuality and to hear the way you were talking about it in just, and I, and I mean this, in, and I don't even know if I'm saying this right, but like in a very confident manner where I think a lot of mm. us are tiptoeing around it because we're still trying, you like, what is right? What is wrong? But I, and Ryan knows this, we've, we've talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but definitely off the podcast. Like one of the things that I, that breaks my heart is loneliness. And when I think about mm. those people that feel lonely because of whatever it is that they're deemed not to be a follower of Jesus, like we need we need more people like you that are like, hey, this is a great place and it's safe mm. and keep sharing your love. Yeah. No. And, and thank you for that, Jill. And, and I, I would just say this, I, I think that, you know, um, I work with, with an organization here that it's, it's across the nation too. Um, it's called Link, L-I-N-C. And in Link Bay Area, you know, something that we talk a lot about and I think that this is this is what what I continue to wrestle with um, is is 
the gospel, you know, this, this good news of, of the God who created you, he sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he just desires to, to be with you and live in relationship with you, that, that, that message is best shared um, with, safe, with safe people in safe places. And, and here's the reality is that I think that, that the more we can continue to shift the reality that we have to create a building that is safe, I think that we're going to be much more effective, Jill, in reaching lonely people who are hurting and isolated and just want connection. Um, we're going to be so much more effective in reaching those people if we stop viewing it as a building that's safe or a program that's safe or a church that's safe or a ministry that's safe to a relationship that's safe. Yes. And, and do I have a relationship that is safe enough with someone who I can be honest about myself and where I'm at and, and just figure this out? And because people, people are going to listen to someone they trust. Um, and so, and so it's, it's so much about shifting the conversation from buildings and institutions, which we've been talking about to relationships and, and, and having people who follow Jesus create safe relationships where people can get to know Jesus as they live life. And so, yeah, it's so good. So good. Wow. I've got one more question for you and here's what it is. I'm going to bring the word. Can I bring the word, Jill? (laughs) You're allowed to bring Um, the word. (laughs) I'm thinking about (laughs) bringing the word to a completely different culture and a completely different context than what you're used to. And Corey, you had that experience. You grew up in the South with me. We ate barbecue and we went to church. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was us. And that ain't the Bay Area. Okay. (laughs) Uh, No Bojangles out there. All right. (laughs) <laughs> oh, come on. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, you look at the book of, of Acts and you look at Paul. Yeah. He goes to the Areopagus. He goes to Athens. And what does he do in this different culture is he finds common ground before he makes his statement. He finds what is respectable and lovable about what these people are doing before he then tells them the gospel. He even quotes their own philosophers. He quotes people that they would respect. He says, look, I've read your people. I know what it's like. Okay. And here's what Jesus has to say in light of it. So I respect you and meet you on this level. And now I'm going to, going to step in and show you where the gospel can, can fit in this framework you've got of the world. Even Mm -hmm. the early church, man, I'm reading some stuff right now for school. I mean, that was their, their thing. Okay. We're going to dress like mm-hmm. the Romans to reach the Romans. We are going to find common ground. They're, they're yeah. Basically, their belief was you're, what you're trying to convince people of, what you're trying to tell them, isn't worth it if you can't find common ground. Your argument, what you're going to say is ineffective if you can't find common ground and a place to connect with them. So when we look at the next generation, and when we look at millennials, which, man, they ain't the next generation anymore, okay? They got they got babies. <laughs> You're one of them. Okay. They are, yep. they are not kids. Instead of otherizing them and trying to fix the problems they've got, the, the first priority is finding common ground. And it sounds like you, you maybe have done some of that with these people. I'm thinking about that person who heard you were a pastor. And the first thing they said was, you know, even with these cultural um oppositions to the institutional church they heard you were a pastor and said oh you must be doing such good for the community maybe that's some common ground you know um 
a good mm-hmm. theologian would say, well, I'm out here preaching the word of God, but, but they saw you as someone who loved the community and maybe that's common ground, but yeah, I'll ask the question, what, what is the common ground you're seeing? Are there some things that mm-hmm. are admirable in some of these people you've mm-hmm. talked to that we could be on the lookout mm-hmm. for people like that in our own community? Yeah. You no, know, that's, that's such a good, oh man, that's such a good point, Ryan. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, you know, it's kind of that cliche, you know, of like, uh, let's not have people know what we're against, but what we're for. And, and, you know, it's, it is kind of a cliche, but you know, there's a lot of truth in it. There's a lot of truth in it. And, and, and how do we, how can I live in a relationship or how can I have a seat at the table with people who may firmly disagree with my faith? And yet, can we work together on things for the common good? Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the reality of like, you know, in Jeremiah, right. When, um, uh, when, when they're exiled and, and there's that, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, right. Famous kind of words, but the context in which God spoke, that was so powerful because he starts talking about, Hey, I want you to settle down and I want you to plant gardens and I want you to marry and I want you to have kids. Um, and, and the way that I see it is like, Hey, look, I, I know that this isn't ideal, and I know that this actually might be hard to, to stick in relationship and trust me in this process. But what I want you to do is work for the common good and the human flourishing of the people that are there. Um, and I think that in that same little portion, it says that um, when, the, when, the city, when the city prospers, when the people prosper, you will prosper. And so like there is this, this reality of like, man, can people know that Jesus actually cares for people on the margins? Like, can we actually say that Jesus actually doesn't agree with being racist? Like, can we just say that? And can we say that I, can I raise my hand and be like, oh yeah, I actually am not okay with that either. Um, and, and can we have a seat at the table and work together towards solving problems that we see in our city? Um, you know, and, and that's kind of, I, I think what you're, what you're hitting at, Ryan, is, is super important. And I think that um, that that's something that that we're seeing all the time, you know, because of because of our curiosity to ask the city, hey, what are you guys noticing in in parts of the city? Um, what's hurting right now? Who are the people that are hurting and why? Um, and and just the curiosity, the the just the curiosity, they invite they invite us to the table. Um, and to say, hey, you you can sit at this table with us because we know that you care for this city, you care for the people, um, and and let's be honest, and you're not going to throw your faith in our face. Um, and I think that that's a, another reality that we have to to check um, is are we willing to leave some stuff behind or at the door when we walk into the room for the sake of the relationships that are forming in the room. Um, and, and sometimes we have a hard time doing that because we feel like we're, uh, like disappointing Jesus in some way. (laughs) Um, and yet, man, that's, that's when the good stuff is going to happen. Um, so I, I don't know, Ryan, if that answers your question, if that's what you were looking for, but, um, but I definitely think what you're saying, it's, it's, it's imperative. I think that it's really important. So Corey, if individuals would like to reach out to you and I don't know whether they just want to talk or whether they are in the Bay Area how would they get a hold of you 
Oh yeah. And I would love that. <laughs> I would love that more than anything. Um, I think email is probably the best. Yeah. Email is probably the best. It's uh, my personal email, which is which is solid for me. It's just my last name and first name at gmail.com. Garrity Corey at gmail.com. Would love to meet anyone, talk with anyone, set up a call or a Zoom or, or meet in person. It would make my day. <laughs> I will have that on our show notes at normalgoesalongway.com. And I am just so, so incredibly grateful that I was introduced to you by Ryan. I cannot wait to meet you in person. I, oh my gosh, I just can't wait to even talk to you some more. Whether it's Zoom, in person, email, you have really moved me. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, no, thanks. I'm, I'm again, I'm so excited to have talked with you and shared a little bit about what God is doing here and um, super encouraged by the both of you. And I love hearing um, the compassion for people um, in you two. And I, I know I get to personally experience it with Ryan, who means so much to me. And now Jill, to, to hear it in you, I know that God's going to keep using this and you guys in, in a massive way. So thank you. Thanks for letting me be a part of it. It was awesome.